This is Branding in a Black Lives Matter movement. We're going to explore why finding your voice and knowing your brand is essential for success in 2020. I'm Brooke Thomas, and I want to introduce you to our panelists. Theo Dumont, managing partner of Alta Media and the PR firm for Spike Lee. Carla Ferguson of the Yelan Group. And Felicia Fant, co-head of Urban Music at Columbia. And of course, Rob Richardson himself. Thank you all for being here. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Good to be here. I want to start off just to have, have a question, kind of a discussion, a prompt for everyone. So feel free to jump in. This I want to hear from everyone. Do you believe it has become mainstream to be more socially conscious? Are we there yet? I, I think as people of color, we have always been socially aware. I think that social media in the times we were in has made everyone else hyper aware of our situations. Mm -hmm. We wake up looking like this every single day. So we are always a part of the conversation. I just think more than ever, people realize that to ignore it is actually um, just not beneficial. And also I would say just, just being blind to the fact that these are real issues that affect everyone. And to move forward, we all have to pay attention right now. Yeah, I would actually agree with that. And I would say that a lot of folks, it's now, I think it's, I think it's a little, it's, it's kind of popular now because it's, you know, it used to be a controversial statement just to say Black Lives Matter as if that's controversial when you're just trying to say your life matters. Uh, but now everybody says it. Every corporation is like, we believe in Black Lives Matter. So it's kind of, I think it's, I think it is popular to at least pretend or at least say that you have empathy. Um, and people, I think, it, not, not, not only with social media, as, 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 uh, as uh, Felicia pointed out, but I think in this unique time with COVID-19 and the fact that the whole world had to stop and really observe the injustice that we know of just being people of color, being black, we know happens every single day. But seeing that and having nothing else to do, but you know, if you saw just what happened to George Floyd, just watching that, well, I know we all did, just watching that for almost nine minutes, just seeing somebody's life being taken out of them and everyone just acting callous about it. And then everybody asked the question, does this happen all the time? The answer is, unfortunately, yes. And that's just the beginning of it. So I do think there is a general, there's more awareness now. And in this moment, people have had to pay attention. And so I think it's more popular now. To that point, I just saw a survey in uh, 538 from polling that just says now, uh, uh, you know, black people still is at the top of their mind but the majority population is like it's starting to wane because again, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not the focus right now, but it's always the focus for us. I agree, Rob. I mean, we're born this way. We look this way. We have our experiences oftentimes based on the way that we do look. So at least for me, my awareness of uh, black lives mattering and social consciousness has been since childhood. The reason I got into the business I'm in is for the same exact reason. Um, today we do see that it is, uh, a popular thing to do. You have to show your goodness, your mindfulness. So now with everything in your face, and we're all focusing far greater than we did in the past, because we're all stuck at home, thanks to COVID. And we are forced now to look at everyone's social media account, we're forced to, you know, watch the news, we're, we're forced to kind of deal with issues, everything slowed down. So now it's in our faces, we see the disproportionate impact that COVID is having with regards to black and brown people. Um, the death rates, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I mean, today it's definitely become an in-your-face, if you don't address it kind of subject, then you're probably a part of the problem. Theo? Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's tough, right? Daily, right? Daily. Um, <laughs> yesterday, there's a video released of uh, the Toronto Raptors GM who was making his way on the court. And then the, the police officer who's suing him, who's suing him, clearly pushes and shoves him. And that's a lawsuit, Twice. right? And that's, and you know, people are saying, oh, why did it take so long to come out? And you know, it's a legal thing. But this happens every minute in this country. Mm -hmm. So it's painful, it's painful, right? And it's, it's been happening for decades. So I just feel like, I hope it's not flavor of the month. And I, I hope real, you know, Real things start happening for us. Um, Do you think you've... Oh, I didn't want to cut you go off. Ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. 
I'm curious, if, do you think you've seen a real shift? And because when we talk about how we live, of course, this has always been life. And you're able to, when you look like us, you're able to separate um, what people, people who consider, there are a lot of people who don't look like us who consider human rights politics. When you're a black person in America, that's, you've never been confused about the two. So do you think that you've seen a shift from a branding standpoint where people now realize that you can't sit on like, oh, I don't want to offend people who think this. I don't want to. And that the power is with the people who are pro-equal human rights. I mean, that's complicated. I mean, a little bit, right? I think there's a little bit. I've seen a little bit of change. But then it just all comes back to the root of the problem. They're, they're going to try to monetize, monetize on, um, on, uh, on our culture. And it's very dangerous, right? Um, and again, flavor of the month, I hope not. A little <laughs> bit of change, a little bit of change, but I mean, I'll take anything, honestly. If it, if it leads to um, let, you know, more progress, I'll take anything. Um, but it's, 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 um, it's a lot of problems and I feel like it's, it's a bigger problem, right? I feel like it is, it is a political problem. I mean, if we hadn't gone through this political climate how would it look? What, what, what would it look like? Would people be looking in the mirror? Would there be these little changes that you're seeing? Maybe not. So with every bad, um, with the worst administration in history, possibly. And that's saying a lot, but go ahead. <laughs> Maybe there's a silver lining, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, and here's the question, no, here's the question is, if things change in November, if things change in November, what happens? Do the people hide again? And that's uh, a great question. And I do have a, I have a thought on that. And I want to hear from the rest of the panel on this, because I think the present occupant of the white house is more of the symptom than the, than the actual virus. He, he's creating a pandemic by his failure of leadership. Yeah. Um, right. But I, but in terms of him, like, I think it's something that we tend to just say, if we change that, it's not because the, the system, he's a symptom of the system. And so I do not think our lives get better. And in some ways, you set this point, the fact that he's, he's empowered kind of racism to be accepted and people have seen that, uh, that has actually helped highlight the situation. I think if it was a normal president, maybe this doesn't happen like that. But I will say to another point that Theo said that I really want to hear from the panel on as well, is about this idea of monetizing this moment uh, and I, and you know, I'm naturally suspicious of anybody, corporations and everybody that, uh, you know, one minute, no one would even utter the words Black Lives Matter as a controversial statement. The next day is everybody says it and it's cool. Like, and I'm like, so what's the reasoning for that? The reasoning is that there is some money, there's some value in that. And what I have interest in and what this conference is about is about us collectively coming together and owning some of that equity that we are creating. We are creating this value but value often flows through us, not to us. And I want to make sure more of it comes to us. I mean, I think you said it right there. This is definitely a monetization era of our culture. But I think the shift is, can we actually learn to capitalize off of it? I think that has always been the problem that happens, music, film, politics, everyday life, is how can we become the owners of our own brand? How can we actually take stock and actually have a moment to say, okay, you all have watched us suffer. You also have watched us, you know, rise from this pain. You've seen us, you know, overcome all these conversations. Now, once again, we're in the conversation, but corporations are being asked to actually fund these thoughts. So I think knowing that money is there, knowing that, fine, people are giving hundreds of millions of dollars to these conversations causes, instead of, to your point, I guess getting frustrated by the monetization of it, we have to say, what do we want to do as a community and on equal footing? Where do we go in and where do we want to see ourselves have pipelines to ownership? How are we hiring? How are we employing? How are we passing down to the next generation? And can that be consistent? Because the real issue is we're going to always face this. I really feel like history to a certain point is repeating itself, but are we going to able to actually put in the systems of pipeline opportunities where we know that after this we can continue to employ the next group of black entrepreneurs understanding that black future is really what we need to focus on and do we really have the tools in place to make sure that black future is consistent for the next generation 
so I'm curious, can, can any of you give us examples of uh, how you've approached a client or an environment that has been racially biased? I may have some examples. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in the art world and it's notorious because the art world uh, upholds the status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, what we see every day in museums, what we see you know, even on uh, television, anything in the media really is, is an artistic creation, right? Um, and it tries to keep things what we call blanket American or Eurocentric viewpoints, um, really shutting out a lot of people of color, uh, black people, women, anything that's different, anything that doesn't fit in with their standards of what they would like to represent. So for example, ever since Black Lives Matter gained this huge momentum in the last six months or so, I would say, um, I've had more boards of cities and uh, board, corporate boards coming to me to diversify their art collections or their public art projects. And, you know, they come and they're kind of uh, with that, oh, so we'd like to bring you on board. We'd like to have you showcase some of your artists, uh, have them, you know, participate in making our city or our organization more inclusive and diverse. And I understand, I, I say to them, frankly, I said, I understand you want to participate in the current atmosphere and um, start to correct some of your past mistakes or <laughs> oversights of not including everyone in the conversation. Um, so of course, you know, oftentimes it starts with, oh, it'd be great exposure. But my first thing once I hear that, that word is no, 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 no. We don't do this for exposure. We do this for equity. <laughs> we do this in order to be able to, to, earn, <laughs> right? Um, so that we can continue to create more works. And it's not just about having our voices amplified and getting out there. It's also about compensating us for our product, our work product, our creativity. So that's, that's been something new that's starting to happen. And uh, it's been very interesting once I shift their conversations from this, you know, talk of exposure, and it would just be great to have you on board to, okay, so how much are you paying the artist or how much you're paying my organization for putting this all together. And that's when now, you know, it really says to them, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Yep. I, I agree with that. And I just say, um, if you don't bring a, any money to it, then you're not, you're not trying to solve the issue. Uh, yeah. cause, cause that's the only way you're going to actually show me that you're, that you value it. Don't tell me that you value it. Then don't have a budget that you just have a symbolic statement, which is what a lot of people do. Or they do mm -hmm. the next thing, and this is no disrespect to those who are in the DNI space, but I will say this from a general point of view. Generally, that's an easy box that they check. The revolution will not be brought to you by diversity and inclusion training, right? They know that's a that's a check the box that people do, and I and I want us to take this moment to go further. Like, okay, I'm not against DNI. I'm for actual real results because DNI, as we know, most of the time is put in a separate category, has no power, has very little influence, given a little bit of budget. And then we get to have a, a great after party. Then everybody goes home and the, and, the, and the situation is the same as it was. And the corporate structure is the same, same as it was. So I want to, and I believe we should, Brooke, and I'll take this moment and make, it's an opportunity where people are open and make them feel uncomfortable. To make, if you really want to solve this issue, we have to do more than what we've done before. Uh, we have to make sure that we have systems in place and we have to actually look and take a deep dive into how we are uh, spending our resources uh, what is what does your corporate board look like? How much money mm -hmm. do you spend with, uh, with, 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 with firms of color? How, how much effort do you actually put into doing that? Uh, and then, you know, this is why we've had this more than this conference, you know, we're, we're creating a platform and we want to help build and help build the community. But we're going to challenge these, these, these corporations that say that this is what they care about. This is where the funding is. I'm always, I mean, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a little bit of a, uh, I'm always a little bit of a skeptic. So I think we're going to uh, hope for the best in people, but we're going to challenge them to meet, uh, to meet the words and the, and the symbolism that they're putting forward. I like that you brought up diversity and inclusion because that usually if people, you know, if you look at different companies, they hire someone for that role who is not diverse. And the first step diversity and inclusion would be to diversify and include more people that are outside of the status quo into your office, right? You need to hire not just one or two people, we need to hire a bunch of people so that there's a safe space to change, to change the environment, to be able to change the perspective of the environment, not just turn into, um, you know, someone who has to fit in so that they can keep their role and never be promoted, never be listened to. 
um, that's a, a huge failure that you see all around and people pat themselves on the back because they have this new role, which basically just becomes a next part of HR. Unless you get someone in there that really cares, but that's often I've seen a huge complaint from people about that. I'm curious, uh, when, when do you think, what's advice-wise, right? When should you turn down payment or opportunities when you feel your value is not being respected? Well, I guess that would uh, depend on how much of your creative agency you have to give up. Mm -hmm. If I'm presenting artists for a show or a project, um, and all of a sudden, you know, the story is being told by some outside curators who don't reflect uh, my values or my perspective as a Black woman, well, then I would have to say, sorry, but I, I really can't accept this because what you're going to do right now is revise my history once again. Uh, you're going to retell the story from your perspective. Um, the story only works if it comes from my perspective, actually. Um, so, you know, I'm not interested in things being whitewashed or uh, Euro, Eurocentricized, if that's even a term, <laughs> you know. But um, I want it to come with, with the truth that comes from my community, from our community. So if all of a sudden there's a lot of censorship and a lot of editing, I, I will respectfully walk away. And I will let them know why I walked away, you know, because it's pointless to have another story told by, by the, the hunter versus the lion. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think it, 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 it depends, but essentially when you know that you're not being valued is the time when, it's, when you should walk away because if you're too desperate, it's dangerous because then you set yourself up for a situation where that will be something that is, uh, people will accept that from you going forward if you accept that at, that at that moment, particularly if it's a bigger opportunity. So, I mean, sometimes you have to just walk away from it and that often gives you leverage in doing that. You have to have enough confidence in the value that you bring when you come to the table because uh, we, we do bring more value. We don't get paid our value and I am, uh, I'm a little sick of the mantra. I know we may talk about this later, but I think it's a good place to put it uh, that we have to work twice as hard to get half as much. Like we need to end all that. Like that's not, that's not, that's not how we need to think about this. We need to work hard to get just as much as everybody else, not to expect half as much. We, we can work, we expect to work hard, uh, but we shouldn't have to, or nor put the mindset that we have to work harder to get half. No, we have to work harder to get whole. That's what we're doing. Let's talk about that though, because can we realistically, cause it's not just, it's not like a, a mantra, it, it's, it's the truth. Yep. So can, do we have the ability to change a system that we didn't create? Right, I think what I, yeah, I think there's a situation where we often say you have to, to go to grow, but to Rob's uh -huh. point, they really are gonna change in these corporations. They have to understand turnover does not look good for anyone, you know? Right. And if you turn turning over your employees of color, um, especially in higher positions and as, again, as people grow, then that's something to be said about the corporation. So you have to look within and say, if I can't retain great talent of color, there's something wrong with the system. And I think what's happening now is just that to your point, Brooke, they can no longer pretend like it's okay to lose great people in great positions that look like us. You know, you have to want to retain us to, again, to, to redefine the culture in a building, you have to keep certain people who know the culture. So I think it's, it's a respect back that is coming with, it's coming with what's happening now is the reckoning of when you know you have good talent in a place, it's your job to that talent and nurture that talent and keep them in your pipeline. So I, I really think now that's the conversation we have to have. As we start to get these jobs, we shouldn't have to work harder to Rob's point. You should want to keep us because it looks good for you to keep us in your buildings and to show that diversity truly matters. If you're constantly, constantly, finding new people to quote unquote, look like me to fill my job. It says that you don't honor the people in the space while they're there. So I, I really think that to your point is what has to happen. You know, so I think I'm curious about this because how do you fight back against that fear, right? So part of it is the system that you're very aware of, right? The other part of it is when you're the only person in the room, you are, you have to battle being afraid of not being the only person in the room, essentially being not being there. Yeah. So, you know, I've been on many panels where you have young black women talking about how they're in the office until 2 a.m. They don't take lunch breaks. They don't use their vacation days. You know, they want to prove themselves. I have never had a boss that didn't, that at some point I didn't see 
you know, out of office emails and I, that, you know, didn't truly take their vacation days, leave when they needed to. Um, but younger people, people of color, black women are afraid of looking like they're not up for the job or they're not fighting their hardest when it's not reality. But how do you fight against that? What's your advice to people, you know, especially like young women in the business? Um, it's really never easy, but it goes back to what you're saying right now and being about your brand and being authentic. And it hurts. There's definitely days mm -hmm. where you, like, why is this happening to me and, and why do I have to go through this? But at a certain point, you have to stay firm on your convictions, you know? Um, you will start to lose yourself if you don't honor yourself in these spaces. And at some point, to what I believe our other panelists said, if I have to walk away to keep my integrity, I just have to walk away and faith has to kick in. There's never really any answer for that, but if it doesn't feel right, if it starts to, to hurt who I am and deteriorate the person I wanna become, it's time to walk away. And I've had to do that. I've had to say that I'm more important, my health is more important than this job. Absolutely. I mean, we shouldn't have to burn out in order just to get half as much, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, it's, it's detrimental to our health, our mental health, our physical health. We need to be able to put ourselves first. This starts with self-love. Love yourself. Know that, you know, the universe has something better for you. If this does not work out, one door closes, multiples may, may just open for you, right? You know that you're putting yourself out there. You're giving your best, your best self, right? And that should, that's a reward in itself as well. Um, so we just need to be able to... To, to love ourselves enough to get past all these neg negative stereotypes that have been placed upon black women. You know, we're not angry, we're not lazy, we're not, uh, you know, full of attitude. There, there's all of these things that, we, that we, we take on every single day and it's, it's draining. So, you know, love yourself <laughs> yep. and, and, and just block out the noise. Yeah, entertainment industry, right? I'm in the film and television space and live event space. Um, both been in-house, in in-studio, corporation, MGM Studios, and creating our own firms or working for other firms, right? Yeah, it's no, no hand-me hand, handouts, right? Earning it, doing it yourself. I started getting used to not seeing a lot of people that look like me, right? right? Uh, just it. And still, the question is, right, with COVID, in this movement, what does, like I said before, what does the other side look like, right? Will those boardrooms change? Representation, the managers, the agents, does that change? There's not, there's, oh, there's like, you can count them. You can count them with your hands, how many there are. And um, I must confess, I went to an event once and I was at Essence Fest and Felicia was there and uh, Felicia was running an event. And I can't explain to you how, yeah, I can't oh. explain to you how proud that make me feel. I'm like, first of all, this event is, this is popping, right? It was a surprise event, not on my schedule. I'm secretly invited to this and I'm like, who's running this? And I see her running the show and everything is because, you know, you're in an event space, there's a mutual respect and you're like, she looks like, so. <laughs> it's, a, it's deep, right? It's a very deep situation. And I met, um, uh, a person who uh, runs a branding agency, one of the top ones in Hollywood. I mean, every poster, every one sheet that you see that comes out, she runs this. Same feeling. I'm in this office and I'm like, this is what? You made this? This is so crazy. This is your idea. You're running the shop. And she told me what she's trying to do is a program where she brings in new designers from all over the country, right? And fostering the next hers, right? And I feel that's important, right? Like, it's cool, it's nice to talk about it. We're saying, yeah, put the money up, but we have to do it ourselves. So again, she was saying that what's hard is though, there's the lack of education. There's no, there's no training ground. So she has to almost build the infrastructure herself. Um, so if I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is, you're doing this, I have to do it as well. So it's, it's, not, it's on us as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I'm on that point before you move on, Brooke, I wanna just talk about that because I think, in order to get past this, we have to, first of all, get past the fear. We have to be comfortable being mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Look, it's, it's, that, that's part of growth. You can't grow, you can't grow and, and actually be comfortable. The two are like diametrically opposed forces. So kind of rejecting that fear and moving forward. I would also say we need to 
when you're in these situations, you're in hostile grounds, get allies. You can, you can get allies from places you will never expect. I can just say, uh, you know, narrating, uh, uh, navigating, I should say, a really complex situation. Uh, I was on the board of the University of Cincinnati, very complex, very conservative board. Um, and we dealt with a lot of really complex issues. One, we had uh, one of our officers go out and unjustifiably kill an African-American man. So I had to I had to go and really change the whole, figure out how to move this board forward to make a lot of really consequential hard decisions. And I was able to do that. And some of my allies were some of the most conservative people or people that you may not think as allies. So I would say also when you're in these situations, when you're in corporate America or you're, or, or wherever, don't assume that someone's going to be against you for whatever reason, because they're political leanings, anything else, you would be surprised areas where you can make, uh, advancement. And I've had some of my best, some of my best opportunities have not come from, I'm a Democrat, I've run, but some of my best collaborations and support haven't come from quote unquote Democrats. And, and so it doesn't change my political beliefs, but what I'm saying is sometimes, and, and I was like this before I got on the board, I was like, I assumed that people were going to have this and be this way. And often it was different than what I thought. So I would say, you know, don't be afraid, figure out, get good allies, and then uh, to Theo's point, and this is exactly why we're starting the, the Disruption Now Network and why we're starting all of this, we have to organize around ourselves. Like there is no, there is no superheroes coming. Like that's all, Captain America is not coming. Uh, Black Panther is not coming. Like <laughs> we got to create Wakanda. That's all for the comic books. We have to create that together. I want to talk about authenticity, right? Because so um, using politics as an analogy, um, people kind of talk about like they don't want platitudes, they want policy. But then there's also the space of how it feels to hear even just, to hear a presidential nominee, a vice presidential nominee say something like Black Lives Matter, right? And so when you come to companies, big companies, a, a lot of it is platitudes and not necessarily their version of policy. How do you accept how that feels, live in how it feels to have companies making statements that you're shocked to see, and then also hold them accountable when you ask for, you know, their um, diversity. Let's, let's ask to see what it looks like at your company. And there's two black people out of 700. Um, how do you live in this new world and breathe in what's happening and also hold these companies accountable so that it's not just talk and a show just to, you know, make a little money. I'll start, I guess. So I would say words do matter. So I, 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 I'm not going to say that I don't like the fact that people acknowledge that there's an issue. So I'll say that at the beginning, but then I would say when people say this and they mm -hmm. open the door, the next part of the conversation is, so what are you going to do about it to improve this situation? Is it, are you going to say that or are you going to do your part to improve it? And then uh, it goes back to really developing those relationships and then challenging people. Listen, if they're not doing it, then be willing to have that, be willing to challenge them. A lot of people don't want to do that. And I think if we, I'm talking about us as black people, are willing to understand our own value and work more collectively together, I, I don't think we'd have as much of an issue because we, we do create a lot of value. Uh, we are very strong. It's just a matter of us understanding that as we navigate this process. I think it's people of... Uh people of powerful voices making statements to change. Old Hollywood, there used to be uh, leading actors making a lot of money, right. a lot, a lot of money. They had the power to make changes happen on these Hollywood sets. And at those times, some, they, they, didn't, they didn't speak up. Same thing with sports. Um, some of our leading leaders you know, decades ago, they had the opportunity to make those changes and, and recommend, I want more people that look like me, you know, on this board of this company. And they didn't do that. So it takes, and then you have people that came through and changed that and they spoke up and they speak up and they practice what they preach. So I really feel like it's, as we rise, we have to, we have to practice what we preach and, and say it and just say it. Why, if this is not like this, let's change it. Why is it not changed? I hope, I hope there's changes on the other side. Um, for instance, you know, the studios, the studios, right? Press lines at these premieres. I speak with outlets run by people that look like me. And they say, we don't get invitations to some of these premieres. They want to put me on the black films only. So, and sometimes it takes 
a producer of power to say, what, where, where are those faces at? So until people start speaking up, it, it, it won't change. Exactly that. It's if you if you don't do something, then it won't change. And so I think even examples, and I say in a corporation, and not the one I'm at now, but it really goes back to even our interns. Our interns were all people that did not look like me working on music that I work mm-hmm. and have to go to these HR companies and say, look, right. it's important to pull from HBCUs. It's important to pull from Black student unions at USC, UCLA, and everything else because they're there. They exist. So. I, I think to what your point is access and doing things, this is going to be a long process. I, I think that's what I really want to kind of get to a point. This is not going to happen overnight. So we have to do our due diligence. We have, actually have to stay focused on the fight. Like I know we hear this all the time and I know this is again, history repeating itself. So our ancestors, our foremost, our forefathers have all had this conversation, but we have to stay in the game. We cannot say when December hits or after this election hits that we do not go to HR every week to say, are you hiring more interns of color? Are you making sure that themselves to stay in these internships. So I, I really just want to reiterate that this is not a, a slow, slow, this, I'm sorry, this is a long haul situation. This is going to take okay. a second to get there. So to your point about inviting black media, it's our point to look on the red carpets and say, we want to make sure that you're placed in the right position on this carpet, that we stop for your interviews, that you understand they should be invited, but it takes all of us to do it. So I think until we all collectively agree on the agenda as a people, the, the ongoing agenda that we want to push forward, none of this will really change. We have to all be on the same page. I have to actually know what everybody wants to do in every building, and we have to hold each other responsible and accountable. It's really beyond making sure they are accountable as much as we are accountable for ourselves. I think that's what I wanted to kind of just push out there. A lot of us control budgets and things like that, that and we can challenge it. And all of us can do Like, I can do better too. All of us can do better in making sure we are pushing more when these things happen. Like, because there's all types of levels. Are you looking at professional services, accounting? Mm-hmm. Like there are lots of opportunities. It takes, it takes the issue. It takes us more work, but it's worth that. I, I would say, you know, depending on your level of power and influence in your industry, it's imperative that you use that power to, to bring the talent that you know exists within your community to the forefront. So if I'm doing a project and I know that these artists, these black women are doing amazing work, I'm going to make sure that this group show of 30 artists will at least have, you know, I would say half black women because I'm trying very hard to, to push our perspectives and our stories, but you need at least 10 black women there as well. And I will insist that it has to be this way, but I'm also the type that will walk away if it doesn't go my, my way. Um, so I think it's all about, you know, constantly taking your talent with you. You've got you've to drag them into the room and insist you know, going back to what Theo said about old Hollywood, I remember this story about Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald. They wouldn't let her perform in a club. And Marilyn said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to have this. You know, I'm Marilyn Monroe, and this is what I want. I want my girl, Ella Fitzgerald, up on that stage in this whites-only crowd. And after that, it wasn't a question. She leveraged her power to get, you know, justice and to make things a little, a little better. And this was, you know, this is not that long ago. I mean, I've got grandparents, or, you know, that would probably remember this happening, but that's, that's the only way sometimes, you know, you've got to flex your muscles. So my next question is, and I'll start with you, Rob, because you mentioned kind of working um, across the line, working with people whose perspective is different than you, maybe not necessarily um, to a hard negative point, but definitely different. So best advice on approaching negotiations with clients or bosses who do have a clear bias. First thing I would say is that you have to get um, an understanding of who that person, who that person is. So you know that they may have bias, but what actually ticks them one way or another. And also try to come outside yourself too and understand, have some self-awareness of what can trigger you. Cause I can say like, you know, there are some, they can be biased and that can exist and it's going to exist then you have to figure out what you can control is yourself, how you react to that. And, you, and, and you're going to know some things that are going to be very predictable. So if you're able to really have some self-awareness in two ways, one, self-awareness about who you are, what triggers you, and to not allow yourself to be triggered. And then two, to really understand that person and how they actually perceive you. Because my definition of self-awareness is not how you think of yourself. It's how others actually see you. Not, not how you hope they see you, how they see you. And if you can actually get to that level of depth, you can have a really profound impact 
on negotiations, no matter who the person is. So, and, I, and I've done this before and, you know, I've had to have some really, really uncomfortable conversations. I'll tell you one, it goes back to the board again. Uh, there was a lot of controversy for me being chairman of the board. I was, I became the youngest in history. Uh, there was a couple of that, a couple other African, uh, African-Americans, but it'd been a long time, but nobody had been like just but mid thirties. They're like, no, I mean, so they're like, you know, it was a, it was a big, big process that no one else had before. And I had done, I, I had worked twice as hard and I went to everything and did all that. And yet still, right. There was still this, this, this uh, process to try to block this opportunity from me. They kept saying, well, well, you know, you might run for office. And I'm like, some of these people had made millions off the university. I didn't make any money, but I'm not, but you know, I didn't get to that. I just asked, okay. Um, I had to actually confront him and I had to ask him, well, why is my process different than everyone else's? And you can hear a pin drop. And he's like, are you calling me racist? Are you calling me, are you saying I'm racist? Right? And I knew he was going to say that. I didn't call him racist. I just said, I just asked a question. That's what I told him. I just, I asked you a question. And, uh, and, and you know, he got real sheepish and there was no other problems. Uh, but I had never, ever even hinted around issues like that before, even though there had been many things before that. And I'm not saying this is right because we shouldn't have to take these little microaggressions but sometimes you just got to in order just because you have to figure out how you're going to move and pivot for the long term. So I had to take I had microaggressions many years over many years. And I just what I did is I kept it as a note and say, OK, I know and I've observed about this person, how they are. And I keep it as a mental note not to take it personally, because guess what? It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm black. It's something wrong with you. So I'm not going to internalize any of those issues on me. And if we can get to that. And this is hard to do. And, it, and I don't have it mastered. But as you approach that, that's how you approach these situations. Because if you can, uh, to, the, to the greatest extent possible, it's a constant journey, master yourself and understand your own flaws, your own issues, and then really look to have empathy about how someone is this way, you'll, you'll have a much greater effect in moving them forward. Felicia, is it more of what you were saying earlier about playing the long game? Um, I actually agree with him completely. It is about the long game, but also learning when to pivot. But something that's very important, what he said, is taking notes. I think that, again, there's always a frustration point in microaggressions. But the truth is, you just might not get along with everybody. You can try your best to, and I hate to use the word mute yourself, but at a certain point, again, you deteriorate. So you have to figure out that balance of what is okay for you. And I've dealt with a situation where I'm like, how can I communicate with this person without offending them? But also, we are in a very culture business. Um, part of my job is to be passionate. Part of my job is to, to stick up for my artists and what they need. And that's going to come out any way I feel and not because I'm angry and not because I'm upset, but because I'm passionate about wanting my artists to feel their best self um, at all times. And when you're dealing with microaggressions within certain environments, it's often difficult to, to, to explain how to understand artists to people who do not see them as human. So in humanization and seeing me as human, I think microaggressions come because people don't think you feel the same way that you feel, you know, they don't see that you hurt the same way that you cry the same way just because we don't look the same doesn't mean we don't go through the same range of emotion. So I say that to say I can't always please the person that wants me to mute myself, but I will think about how I'm triggered. I will think about the things that trigger them, but I've also learned that I have to document the ways in which I have tried to be a great co-worker and that has been ignored. I hope that makes sense when I say that. So at a certain point, they look, these are all the times I've tried to come to you to meet you halfway and you have not met me. Because sometimes examples are the only way people realize that they actually are the person at fault and not the other way around. If I can, before you go on to the next one, I want to encourage the audience to engage, tell us if you like something, make sure you are asking questions. We're going to be able to get to that, uh, you know, right after this session. Carla, I want to hear from you too. You know, what doesn't work? What else doesn't work when you when you have when you're faced with this? What does work? What doesn't? I think I might be a bit of an expert when it comes to various microaggressions. Um, I'm based in Miami, and this is an extremely diverse population. However, we do operate on certain, you know, under certain viewpoints, right? It's it's still the the quote unquote American way or, or the, uh, the white way. So, you know, the different populations that live here all have this idea of trying to become that superior group. So there's a lot of colors in here. So I will deal with microaggressions from 
from the language I speak, from the, the various islands, from, you know, am I mainland black person? Am I an island black person? Uh, multi-ethnic divisions. Oh, you mean I, the Kamala to, thing? Like, are you black because you're yeah, from the... Correct. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I get black. that thing a lot, especially depending on how my hair is. You know, she's got the, you know, she's all straightened out and I'm, it gets worse when you, you, you actually start to look like her versus when I'm just, you know, completely in my natural state, right? But um, yeah, and so right now, currently, I'm dealing with a lot of that because I feel like I'm constantly having to defend Kamala <laughs> and, and her position as a Black woman uh, because I'm also Jamaican and from a multi-ethnic background. And, but, I'm, you know, our experiences are very much the same. I'm also an attorney, so I, I, I went through that, that, that world. Um, there are a lot of microaggressions at at the level that you wouldn't imagine when it came to highly educated people. Um, I got to the point where I stopped trying to explain everything also. It's not my job to educate you. You're more than capable of educating yourself. So, you know, oftentimes I've, I've had those kind of moments where I'm just like, well, you know, if you really want to know about this subject, you can go and research it, especially with other attorneys, because that's what we do, right? We research a lot. Um, and I've, I've gotten to the point where I can't take on every single issue. And I do just, you know, I won't say I back down, but I, 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 I'll get quiet and I'll say, well, I'm not really going to touch that because that's, that's, a, that's your problem, not my problem. Um, also, you know, going back to the fact that I'm in Miami and there's a lot of colorism, which is not just black and white here, right? We've got the various shades in between and the languages and the, the different cultures. So I think when you're in a, a melting pot, like what we've got here, the microaggressions come off far differently. You know, you can have immigrant populations, first generation, and they're looking down at you and you're wondering, wow, really? You know, I've been here this long and you, you just arrived. So it's, it's so, so many layers here. It's complicated. Yeah. I'm from Miami too. <clears throat> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> complicated. Haitians. Cubans, Dominicans, American people, um, Boca Raton, Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. It's just very, very complicated. And it'll be racist right into your face, right yeah. to your face. And then that, you know, they have their own cultural, everyone's got their own cultural values. And then, you know, socioeconomic issues, Little Haiti, um, Biscay, it is, it is an interesting place. It is a very interesting place. And, you know, Florida is an interesting place. Because if you look at Orlando, <laughs> I grew up in Orlando. From Orlando and Miami, four hours apart. And it's night and day. Um, it's, it's a very complicated place. Um, but it teaches you <sighs> prepare for anything. <laughs> <laughs> we know. We know what we're talking oh, about. Oh, man. So uh, let's talk about influencer marketing. It's a new tool. It's a great tool. A lot of people are going to groan when um, you say that, but it's, a, it's an effective tool. Can you tell me examples of how you've used influencer marketing successfully? Oh, well, you know, I do, I do contribute a lot of articles to various uh, magazines and media outlets. And so, you know, it's always a, opinion pieces, my lifestyle, things like that. Um, so I've become somewhat of an influencer. I guess I have to own, own that now. Um, so whether it's a fashion brand or uh, auto brand, whatever it is, you know, um, people look at me and say, oh, we like the way that you're living. We like the way that you're moving in the world. And so they tend to listen to you because they, they, they value what your opinions are. They value your thoughts and your advice on certain things because, you know, they believe that if they, they are in tune with what you're in tune with, they can get to that point in their life as well, Right. I'm not a spring chicken, you know, I'm not a teenager or whatever. I've been around for a while. So I have a lot of younger people that come to me on a, you know, daily basis asking for advice, mentorship, things like that. And, you know, I freely give, give advice, especially when it's my people, because I want them to avoid a lot of the stumbling blocks that, you know, maybe I, you know, went through. Also, there is no roadmap for what we're doing, right? I've created the roadmap for my particular uh, line of my industry. So I would say that social media has been 
great as far as equalizing the playing field a bit more because it's really me speaking to the people directly and they can join into the conversation and I don't have to go through uh, some editor or some, some bigger platform in order to allow my voice to be heard. I can go on Facebook Live or Instagram Live, whatever it is, and I can speak directly. And so, you know, my voice is amplified by the amount of people that follow or listen and contribute. And um, I, I really love all of that. You know, I, I think influencer marketing is, is the future right now. Yep. Especially now, again, we're all pretty much stuck in one place. We're not out in the streets anymore. Um, so we're focused on our computers and our devices, right? And so if you're bored, you haven't really had any social interaction in the last six months, um, you're going to go on social media. And so, you know, I've got, everything has gotten more amplified. My views are up. Everything is up because now people are focused on, on these products. Yeah, I would say you have to believe it. You got to believe in the product. You got to believe in the product. It's got to be authentic to you because we're almost like the gateway for the influencer. So if these are my friends or network of people of influence that I'm going to be presenting them something to talk about or endorse, I better really like it. I better have a, it has, needs to be authentic to me because I get one shot. If I send it to this person, it's a film or a product or something. And they're like, are you, I'm never, that's it. It's our relationship is everything. These are, these are relationship driven uh, transactions. So, we can't take it in the, the BS. It's got to be yep. authentic. It's got to be meaningful. It's got to make change. It's got to be uh, something good that you're proud of to put on your wall. Because, you yeah. know, a lot of these brands are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get these, you know, hype this up for me. And then, you know, and they'll offer, it goes back to the earlier question. They'll offer you a nice check. But if it's not, you know, if it's not, if you don't have pride in that thing, then I wouldn't do it. I was saying brands still expect any conversion. So if you don't convert the <laughs> doesn't matter so exactly what you're saying if they don't feel that it's authentic then no one really wins so i think with influencer marketing it's definitely important but um and it really won't go away but we definitely have to find the ones that actually convert the fan and coming from a music space when we're thinking about the influencers that we hire if we cannot get people to actually download that song or follow that artist and there's no passion in that click then we didn't win and and, and this you know this space is allowed is democratized if you will getting people's voice out, but at the same time, it's a, it's, if everybody's out there, that means there's a flood of voices out there. So for you to have, uh, to be effective, I actually think your, your goal should not be to, how can I get a huge audience? No, the question is, who are you? Who would be people that would likely align with your beliefs? And you focus on that. And I think where people get messed up is how do you be authentic? You be authentic by making sure you are addressing issues that you care about, that you're aligned with. And at the end of the day, you don't care if you, uh, if you lose some people because the greatest way to grow is to eliminate first. Who are you targeting? Who do you care about? And what is it that you value? And I think people now, because now you don't have to, as Carla said, you don't have to have a bigger microphone to uh, filter your voice to, to be a certain way. You don't have to do that. But at the same time, I think people use uh, the current environment just to say, well, how can I get clickable bait? How can I get people just to pay attention to me versus am I actually adding value? So being an influencer is actually figuring out how you create value for people. And, and if, you, if you do that, you will get value back. But I think people view this as, let me just go out there, <clears throat> figure out if I can just do something, say something crazy, and then maybe I'll go viral. And, you know, maybe you will, but you probably won't. And then when you, <laughs> and then <laughs> you will likely just end up doing something, make yourself look stupid. So it's better to know who you are, be confident in that and go from there. And it's a long process. And in this, and, I, and I'll just say this and I'll end on this point. In this moment, when we're talking about advancing, particularly black people, um, you know, we have to be careful to not allow ourselves to be used just to advance a platform to make someone look better because they will, first of all, you might make a little small check and as soon as they're done with you, if you don't, if, if that's the only value you create, just, just, just trying to be a front for somebody else and make them look better, there, there's a thousand of you that can be replaced. But who can't be replaced is you. If you bring, so, if you know who you are, you bring that value. Like I'm, like people, people when, I, when I talk about disruption now, I don't worry about people copying it because nobody can be me. Like I'm not worried about that because it's, it's unique to what I bring. And people have to have that same approach when they look at influencer marketing. Like what do you believe? Who are you trying to reach? Who is most likely to align with you and where are they at? Understand who, you're, who, who, who would be likely to resonate with you 
and that and that will increase your chances of actually being a a powerful influencer influencer that's how i look at it so if the question is because i feel like people are going to ask they want you to dive a little bit deeper into that i think that's a great explanation but if the question is you know how do i drive engagement but also stay real not lose that aspect is it is the answer to that really not focused on driving engagement Felicia, if you had anything to add on that, I'd love to hear that your last point before you have to come back. Then you can, don't worry, audience, she's going to be available to talk for questions. She just has to go out for a minute. So we still want to get your comments, still continue to engage. We love, we, we, we love the engagement. Keep it up. No, I think to your point, Brooke and to Rob, it is the balance. Um, but at the end of the day, people are going to look to see if you stand for something. And so when you're looking for your, your I guess, your, your ongoing cult following as you will, what we still need to do is keep the artist focused, genuine. So I'm not saying that you can't go out um, and go try to get that follower, but at the same time, they'll leave you if they don't believe in you. And so you have to be willing to risk that person leaving in hopes that the person who understands you will come back and replace them because that's mm -hmm. the only longevity and have a consistent fan base. And we're more concerned with who's actually showing up repeatedly um, as we try to identify who that audience is. If we can't figure out who your audience is, who your fan is, who that person who is your diehard looks like, feels like, we can't grow your brand. So I'd rather you get rid of and weed out the people who are not authentic to you, who are just on that site because they thought it was fun to follow you for a second. And I'd rather you have 30 great followers who are always gonna be there and become your cheerleaders than 100 people who only click on occasionally and do nothing to elevate you. So it is a risk you take and a back and forth as you push yourself out there. But the more you stay consistent with everything you do, the more um, successful you'll be on the long haul. That, that truly is a fact. You know, you can have so many followers that do not engage with you. If you don't have engagement, then no one's winning. And that goes back to the brand conversation. If brands realize that no one's engaging, with you, but they're following, then they're not actually seeing the conversion. So I always say be authentic first. Yep. Stand, they will follow you. Yeah, and Felicia, is, uh, we haven't bragged on a little bit, but we have an episode with her. And was it NDRE was one of your artists? Am I right on that? Was it NDRE? Was yes. And it was a great story about that. And we can't go through it all, but it, it proves your point. Like people were like, well, <laughs> she's just, you know, this Afrocentric person. Is there going to be, is there a place for her in hip hop? And we all know that there is, but it was making sure she was comfortable in who she was and focusing on that. So it applied. So what a, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. So as we wrap up, anyone else want to jump in on that? Like the focus on um, how do you drive engagement? How do you grow, but also not lose your, you know, realness? I mean, I think you really, you, you have to just be real. Be yourself, mm -hmm. you know. Your vibe really will attract your tribe. <laughs> you know, not to sound cliche, but it's, it's the truth. There are other people that are like-minded that want to hear what you have to say, want to understand your experiences, that, that, that feel what you're, you're about. And as long as you stay true to who you are and, and you project your authentic self, you know, again, the ones that are just following you just to, you know, just to be there for a moment, you're not really so, so uh, concerned with them. You're, you're concerned with the ones that you're, that you're reaching, you know, the right. people that will actually uh, continue on your path, the people that you will influence to, to take the same steps, you know, people that will want to, to become more open in sharing themselves with, with, you know, their particular brand of what they want to do in life, you know, you've got to also have a bit of vulnerability and, and openness, you know, it's almost like getting into a relationship with someone, actually, you know, um, you're in a relationship with your, with your audience, with, with these people that are, are like-minded and that want to see you do well, and you're sitting, you're there to uplift them as well. And I think as so long as you're being um, positive, yet real, um, you will, you'll be able to do that. You know, you'll be able to uplift. And once people feel a sense of pride and, and that they are being valued as well, they, they'll, they'll stick with you, you know, and they'll, they'll go on the, the, the journey with you. And I think that's important is to be able to just, you know, it's not about the follower thing and you're leading and, you know, it's really a collective of people that say, this is our common mission in life. And, and we're going to walk the road side by side. Yo, you got nothing? You got to know the room. Yeah, you got to know the, your audience. You got to know your room. But yes, yourself, right? Inside mm -hmm. your heart. 
just be authentic, be yourself. And that projects where, wherever you are, whoever you are. I had a situation where I, I was working with a filmmaker and we, 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 we ran the world. We did a campaign and people loved the movie and people loved um, the work. And I had, and, and just seeing this filmmaker's passion rubbed off on me. And I had the same, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm you right now. I'm loving the way you work everything, loving you the way you work the room. We have a studio behind this. We accomplish great things. And then that's over. Now I'm, you know, I'm independent. You know, we've created our own label, our own production company, management, marketing company. So we have different clients. So I'm, I'm working now on a smaller film, fast forward, right? So it's like, you know, things move so quick in, in, in this business. That thing is history. So now I'm working on this new thing. I still have the same energy, right? I still feel like I'm like that filmmaker and I got the studio behind me. And so I'm on this conference call and I'm like, what, let's go. What, what are we doing? What let, are you, let, let's go. You know, you know what I just did? That, I just did that. Let's go. And they're like, no, this <laughs> Who are you? Who's the director now? And I'm like, this guy, you know? And it says, it's a younger filmmaker. And they're like, mm, that's all nice, everything you just did, all shaking the world and all that, but we're going to move turtle speed here. So I had to check myself. I'm like, yeah, I got to know the room. I got to evaluate. Listen, you be authentic, but not everybody's ready to shake things up. Not, there's a whole lot of, there's not a lot that want to disrupt, actually. I think disruption is the opposite of what the majority wants. So you got to go in an environment when you need to disrupt. Sometimes you just got to leave. You either have to give voice to it. And then if they don't listen, you got to exit. Uh, That's so true. That's so true. That happened to me recently. And you know, I have a business partner. That's the thing too about having a crew, having people you trust, having a tribe that have your back. That is so important. You know, I was on an island before by myself, you know, but I've met some people in my life that have really had my back and have said exactly what you said you know, recently too, and they're like, you, you, have, you have enough clients to keep things comfortable. Is the staff happy? Yes. And then well, why do you have to, you know, if, if this is compromising the situation and it's really um, disheartening, walk away. I would say this too, it's part of trusting the process too. This is, you're not going to overnight. Things aren't, I, I'm going to guarantee you this. I don't know how it's going to work out for you, but it won't work likely the way you expect it to. It won't be a linear process. There will be frustrating yeah. times uh, and you still have to find a way to keep going. And this is why I think you have to enjoy what you do, particularly if you're in this space. If you're trying to do marketing, if you're in this space of branding, influential, uh, influencer marketing, whatever you want to call it, content marketing, if you don't love this, uh, you will not survive because it's, they're, they're going to they're gonna be long droughts. It's gonna, mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be opportunities for you to get, uh, to get discouraged. And if you don't actually like it and you're working 10 hours a day and you know, you, and then nothing happens and you don't gain more followers and none of that stuff happens overnight. So you have to just, you have to, you have to love part of what you do. You have to be pragmatic too. I mean, you have that passion and some pragmatism. You gotta, you gotta know how to pay the bills too, but you can't just, uh, but you can't just look out for the short term and sacrifice the long term, but you also can't just look out for the long term and sacrifice the short. You have to have, you have to do both, but you still have to be have, I think some passion, at least that, that is me. And, and then, you know, also know what you're not good at and how you need help in other areas. Like, so there's, and then be willing and be vulnerable enough, as Carla said, to go out there and get it. And before we conclude, I want to make sure we give a good shout out to, to Theo and Carla for, for both of all the work you guys have done. They both have episodes. Uh, so you can go back and check out Disruption Now podcast. They're both, they're both on there as well as Brooke. She also has an episode on there too. So everyone on here has been on Disruption Now podcast. And I know Theo, you have a huge big uh, uh, announcement coming up. Yeah, we're, we're about, out to Global Media. We're about to produce uh, Black Wall Street um, feature film by the Beza Brothers. So we're so excited. Um, it was brought to us by a gentleman named Blake Reading, who was at a company called The Machine. And um, we're going for it. So it was just announced uh, today. And um, now we're going to be looking for um, a director. And I think we're we're closing in on that area and we'll be announcing more 
um, shortly, but it's a very important project and such a powerful um, screenplay. And um, as I believe next year is the 100th anniversary. So um, this is going to be a big deal in uh, 2021. So we're, we're excited. And I believe LeBron James and Spring Hill are doing a documentary or a documentary series on, on this subject. So I'm sure there will be several. And we're happy to just be um, working with some amazing writers on it and directors. It's important how much um, different aspects of media, television, film, how that, it's more important than just seeing yourself. A lot of it, as we've seen in later times and recent times, I mean, have become, that's education. A lot of stories we talked about, like there are things that, um, based on what's on HBO, people are finding out about actual aspects of history that they never learned about in school, different movies and Sometimes things are hard to see, but it, there are things that you never hear about. You don't learn about different, even like slave revolts. You don't learn about that in school and how much, how often that happened, how often people were fighting back against this system, this horrendous system, and you learn about it in TV and in film. And so it's important. Someone who's from Oklahoma, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, as we get ready to conclude, look, we want to take your yeah. questions. We want to thank everybody. Thank the panel for coming out. Um, it's a good way to close that we are talking about the media and how important that is because disruption now is about disrupting the, the narratives and constructs that people accept, but we can change. We can only change that together when we work uh, together, connect together, build together. So I hope you're taking the opportunity today to do that, to network, to, to meet new people, to connect with new people. This is just going to be the beginning of this platform. We're going to, we're going to do everything possible to change the narrative and change the constructs and, and work together to empower everyone collectively. So thank you. Thank you everybody. Thank you for having us. Thank you.